out, nobody on. The playoff to Murphy. Left-hand batter, strike three called to the knees and right down the middle of the plate. But down, Murphy. Some games go on for a long time. This one's still going on in my mind. Hello and welcome to episode 27 of the Autobot Podcast. My name is Justin Vibber and I'm joined as always by Chad Young and Niv Shaw. And tonight we're going to begin our positional preview series. Uh, we did this last year. We went through all the positions, some of them grouped together, some of them one by one. And we're going to do it again. Mostly, just as a disclaimer ahead of time, most of what we're talking about is going to be in the context of new points formats. Not because we don't care about Roto, because we do. But because there's already a lot of 5x5 specific fantasy content out there in rankings. So rather than overlapping with some of that, we want to take more of a focus on the points formats for Autonew because those are more unique. And 4x4 is similar enough to Fangraphs points and Sabre that there's a lot of overlap there as well, especially on the hitter side. So we're going to start with Catcher tonight. Now, this is going to be a very short episode because Catcher is a wasteland. Right? Oh. It's a wasteland. All right, that's it. Good talk, guys. Let's, <laughs> let's wrap it up. I mean... Good, good um, episode. Good talk. <laughs> now, before we get into some of the specifics, there's one real quick thing I wanted to look at that I wanted to mention, because I was actually pulling some information earlier, and I just thought it was kind of interesting. I was looking at the top weighted on base catcher seasons over the last 15, 20 years, and I wanted to see how many, like, at a, like above 350, 360 Woba catcher seasons there have been. So this is qualified catcher seasons only. So whatever the hitting qualification for, for plate appearances were in those seasons. So from 2016 to 2020, there were six catchers who eclipsed a 360 Woba in a qualified season. And none higher than 369, I think, was the highest. So none above 370. In 2011 through 2015... There were 11 that eclipsed 360. There were five between in the 360s, three in the 370s, two in the 380s, and there was one catcher who eclipsed 400 with a qualified plate appearance season. So the reason I bring that up is I think right now we're just in sort of a weird lull when it comes to fantasy catchers and their abilities at the plate. There's really nobody who's a standout hitter at the position. I mean, you guys... Do you, do you want to push back on that at all? I mean, no, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, so let's talk about our top tier. So who, who would be, do we all agree that real real Mudu is probably the top catcher in odd new points formats, maybe in a tier by himself. I mean, is there anybody else in that conversation? I don't know if he's in a tier by himself only because I'm not sure he's that much better than the next, let's say, two guys at least. Yeah. However, I think he's clearly better than them, if that makes sense. I, right. So when I when I think tier by himself, I think there's a big drop from him to right. the next couple guys. I, I don't see that as the case. I don't think it's such a huge drop. I think there's two or three other guys who could be in his could be in his class. Mm -hmm. I just think that like I'd be very surprised if he doesn't end up at the top. He's got the highest floor, 
maybe not the highest ceiling, but maybe the highest ceiling too. But he certainly has the highest floor. He has the best projection. He's like across all positions. There are very few positions where I feel confident saying like this guy's going to end up as number one. I, I don't think he's going to be number one by so much that like he's going to leave everyone in his dust. But I'd be surprised right. if he's not number one. Yeah, I agree with that. I, and I agree the floor is very high with Real Mudo. I think I also agree that the, the, he doesn't separate himself from the pack by any drastic amount. I think the the one big benefit that he has is playing time, right? He's probably the most likely catcher to reach 600 plate appearances. And it, that's very rare these days, especially with some of the potential issues with some COVID impacts this upcoming season. I mean, we, we talked about it a lot when we were talking about catcher last season, how important it was to maybe have a lot of catchers on your autonew team, because you didn't know how many they were going to be using in, in, in every, you know, in a week, they might go and they might start four catchers in a week, some teams. So I think he has an advantage in that he's the most likely to have the most playing time. And given that he's also right near the top in projected weighted on base, I think that combination is what makes him the clear number one. But I agree as far as what he does on a rate basis per plate appearance or from a Woba perspective, I don't think he's a he's a cut above everybody else. I think the upside argument, I think, is different. I don't think he has nearly the same upside that somebody like Will Smith has, for example. But Smith's problem is playing time. I think he's not he's got Austin Barnes there. They've got Kyber Ruiz, who's knocking down the door. So he could have more playing time constraints than somebody like Real Mudo does. But yeah, I'm not I'm not super worried about Smith's playing time. I think he's I think he is clearly the best. I think that they're uh, in L.A. I think that they're going to probably go a little bit easy on him just to keep him fresh and knowing that that team, they're only playing to find out if they get a wild card or win the division, right? They are a playoff team, almost a lock. And so they can be a little bit, they can they can take their time a little bit in the regular season if they want to. And I, we've seen the Dodgers do that repeatedly with their pitchers, and I assume they're going to do the same with, with Smith. But I still think he's the clear number one there, and I still think he's going to get plenty of playing time. I don't think like I don't think Ruiz or Barnes are threats to him. I think they're just competent no, think, players who can take some time. Yes, I don't. I don't think they're a threat to him in his playing time. It's more just that his playing time is capped in a way that I don't think JT's is. Um, yeah, I think that there, there's an interesting question for me with catchers of whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing because it's such a difficult position. Right, It wears on you so much. We've seen so many teams take really good, strong offensive catchers and get them out from behind the plate and let them either catch occasionally, DH occasionally, get more days off just to keep them them fresh. And when I hear that, like, oh, this catcher is maybe the most likely to get to 600 plate appearances, unless it's because he's going to get 200 plate appearances as a first baseman which Real Muto is not because the, the Phillies are strong at the corner infield spots. I get, I don't know. I, the, to me, it's a trade-off. Like, I don't know. And I'm looking at Real Muto's career numbers right now. He has a 112 WRC plus for the first half in his career and a 106 in the second half. So maybe he's not a guy who takes a big jump or a big fall, I guess, from that. I don't know. I, I worry I mean about that with catchers. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would agree with that. I mean, the position takes a physical toll, and there's a reason that you don't see catchers playing as often as, you know, even 150 games in a season, especially at the catcher position. You're right. This isn't a case where 
Real Muto is going to slide over somewhere else. And if there's not a DH this year, right now, there's not going to be a DH in the NL, right? So I don't know if he if he got any starts in the lineup last year at DH. I'd have to look real quick. But, you know, that, that could cap. It looks like he didn't. He did get some, a little bit of first base time. But so, you know, that's that would lock out another avenue for him to get in the lineup. When he's not at the playing catcher, he could slot into DH on those days off. But it seems like right now that's not going to be the case. So we have to make that assumption that there will be no DH in the, in the National League this season. So, Yeah, uh, and I think the more interesting conversation at the top of the catcher position is who's number two, right? I think, like, number one is number one. For me, I, I just posted my ranks yesterday, the day before. Now I can't even remember. Recently on, on Rotograph, so if you go over to Fangraphs, you can see my ranks. I, I bumped Will Smith up to number two. It was a last-minute change. I had Grandal as number to not just in my ranks when I made them, not just like when I copied them into WordPress to get them posted. Literally, I hit the schedule button, scheduled the article for the day it was going to post. And then 20 minutes later was like, I think this is wrong. And basically ended up deciding that Grandal is hitting an age where catchers start to fade. I don't think he's going to fade this year. I still have him as my number three. I still think there's actually a pretty good chance he'll be the number two catcher this year. But if I'm, but those rankings, when I think about auto new rankings, that future value does matter. And I think if I'm looking forward to next year or the year after, there there starts to feel like there's going to be a big gap between Smith and Grandal. And to be honest, Real Muto's on the wrong side of 30 now. And catchers just don't right. age well. And so I, if, if I had to guess right now, Smith being the number one catcher by... Let's say the middle of next year. Maybe going into next season, Real Muto is still sort of the consensus number one, but by the middle of next season, that's changed. Is seems totally plausible to me. Yeah, Real Muto turns thirty, basically a week before opening day, two weeks before opening day. So like, that's just like, I mean, you you said it, man. It's it's a red flag or a, at least a yellow flag for the future value there. And I think Will Smith is it gets just that little bit of nudge in auto new formats because of that future value, but. But I, I mean, I'll just say what I said in episode six when we did this the last season. Catcher is tough, man. It is in, and I think you guys are right about the top three there. And Justin's really interesting that you pointed out that like we sort of are in a little bit of a lull in terms of woba seasons for catchers. Yeah, I just I feel like you you don't have that that peak Posey, that peak Mauer, you know. Yeah, um, just the the guy that is just head and shoulders like very clearly the number one hitter yeah and and, and you know you know I, this is not a diss on real muto because i think he's a, he's quite a good hitter but like we used to have catchers that were like that could anchor your your offensive lineup in right. fantasy right and and real muto is probably you're in really good shape if he's your second best bat but if he's your best bat like maybe you have a lot of depth and good pitching but i wouldn't be in love with that situation I think the, the other thing to keep in mind with, with catcher, I guess this is true for every position, but it seems to be particularly true at catcher because of the volatility of the position, because players don't age well, because it's so hard to play. We had a super similar conversation last year about, well, there's a clear top group. There's Smith or not Smith. It wasn't even Smith at that point yet. It was Grandal, yeah. Real Muto and Sanchez. And then Wilson Contreras was the guy that we were like, oh, well, maybe he's up right. there now. We're not quite sure. 
And Contreras was bad. <laughs> Sanchez was bad. Yeah. And now part of that is, you know, 60-game season, and particularly for catchers, a 60-game season is really a 40-game season, which is basically not worth looking at in some ways. But it's it's a volatile position. And I think the one other thing, the one thing that gave me some pause with Smith versus Grandal is Grandal's done this for a while now. He's pretty established. And so, yes, there's the downside in the future there, but I don't think he's reached it yet. Same thing with Real Muto. But there's a lot of value in a catcher who just shows they can do it year after year because this position beats you up. And, and, I, and I think sometimes your decision as an auto new manager is going to depend on how you're approaching the position. If you want to, if you're okay rostering three and, and sort of playing matchups and platooning and really mixing and matching at the catcher position, then you can go cheaper and you can find those exploitable platoons. But if you just want to have a guy you can set for 145 games and not have to worry really, even if you don't make up the other 15 or so games, you don't really care, then that's where somebody like Real Muto or Grandal or another guy we haven't mentioned yet, Sal Perez, who who hit a ton in the short season. And that's always one of his advantages, similar to Real Muto. He's probably the second most likely catcher to eclipse 550, 600 plate appearances. You know, so if, they, if you want to set it and forget it, those guys have a little bit more value to you pursuing that strategy. But otherwise, like Will Smith is part of a platoon combo. I think you 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 definitely have much more upside at the catcher position if you're if you're going that way. It just takes more management and it takes another roster spot to get that that platoon partner for him. So, all right, we probably have covered the the top tier enough. Let's let's talk about we're going to do last year I think we did sort of a traditional sleeper in Boston. We didn't really define what we meant by either of those, so we sort of broke out the sleeper segment into two distinct segments. So, one is breakout where we're going to discuss typically a younger player who we think has the potential to far exceed his current value in, in this season. And then the value is going to be more maybe like a veteran who is just being underpriced or somebody else where we feel like the market is just not, you know, there's not a lot of upside there, but there's also some discount that can be had. So we're going to start with breakout for me. And, and a lot of this, yes, is driven by the projections. And I, and I like looking at the projections and that's my first anchoring point when looking at, at player values, Alejandro Kirk projects to hit really, really well right now. He doesn't have, he's probably not going to start in the majors. Right. I mean, with, with some of the recent free yeah. agent moves they've made, I mean, I think he's probably slated for triple a, but if he He's gets playing, the rare, time, I think the he rare can case hit. where a team signs a center fielder and a second baseman and their catcher <laughs> and gets the bumped catcher, to AAA, right? a catcher out, yeah, right. But and, yeah, no, you're right though. He was he was if he was starting in the majors, it was as a backup catcher slash DH, right. And they just don't have room for him to DH anymore because they've they've bumped everything around, right? That works if if Vlad moves back to third and Tellez is at first and all those pieces sort of fall into place. But with with Springer expanding their outfield, Simeon then moving Biggio to third means Vlad has to be at either first or DH, which means Tellez has to be at either first or DH. And you just don't have room to give Kirk enough at bats. And so it doesn't actually make sense for them to keep him on their major league roster to like be a third of a DH or a quarter of a DH and a quarter of a catcher. Like it's just not a good use of his time. And and I don't think the Blue Jays would want to carry him as their second catcher and only carry two because he's not... He's not really a good defensive catcher, so he's really a luxury, a th- an emergency third catcher or a backup first base DH type, and so, I, I think he's just pushed off the roster right now. So, like, what do we think the future of Kirk 
is positionally because we just talked about the physicality of the position, right? And Alejandro Kirk is a big boy. And it seems to me that like him staying behind the plate, I mean, look, I, it is what it is. Like he can hit. So like, I, I think there's a future for him in the majors, but it doesn't seem to be a catcher for me. Like, he, right. I mean, yeah. I mean, I would say that my expectation would be he would retain catcher eligibility after this season and right. maybe one more season beyond that. And given that we just posted our rebuilding episode and we talked about the the window, we like to look at things right now. I'm not worrying too much about that future inevitability, which is him losing catcher eligibility. I agree on 100%. He's going to lose catcher eligibility, but I also think that he's going to hit well enough that he could still be odd and irrelevant as a just, first base DH. Right. This is just sort of where I get into the stickler for the rules thing, because we talk about what it takes to get catcher eligibility out of the minors. It's a little bit steeper than getting it out of the majors. So I would just keep an eye on that. I, I, I think like when you're thinking about Kirk as because I think it's inevitable he's going to be in the minors to start the season. So you're thinking about him as maybe more of a future play. You may not have a catcher in 2022 in Kirk because just because of the way that the playing time might evolve in if you don't play enough games in the minors, right? It's something like 20 starts or something. Or yeah, 20 yeah games, it, so. it is. It is 20 games. But ironically, I almost feel like he's a, more likely to retain that eligibility if he's playing in the minors for most of this year. I think it because they're going to stick him. They're going to let him play and catcher. They're not going to care as much about those defensive shortcomings. Well, I mean, if maybe, it's coming but, at if, AAA. but if, if you're also saying that he's not, if the Blue Jays don't see him as a catcher in the future, I would, I would then echo what Chad said about the physicality of the position. Like, why would you, why would you force Kirk to do that? I mean, maybe that is the plan. I don't know, but if the plan has any flexibility for him to inhabit a position other than catcher going forward. I would probably think about, if I was the Blue Jays, I would think about developing that now, especially given the decisions that you've made at the major league level on your roster. I don't think the Jays have written him off as a catcher. Okay. And I think, to be honest, if they had, I think he'd be on the trade block. Right. Because their future, like, maybe he's a DH, but like, you've, you've got Vlad, you've got Austin Martin coming for a corner position. You've got, like, they've got so many guys there that it, well, it doesn't sign, make any sense. In so sense I think they're but at the off. same time, signing Simmons and Springer makes me think he is on the trade block. Maybe that's maybe that's the completion of my thought. There is that I, I you know I think the the moves at the major league level indicate to me because you said it. There were twenty pieces that had to move just right, and you could just sort of see a way into Kirk playing uh, a lot of at bats at the major league level. And then they signed Springer and Simmons, and now it seems impossible. So to me, it's it seems to be that the Blue Jays maybe don't have him in the future, and what in their that's, future plans? That's even then, more. What, that's even more reason to leave him a catcher, right? If you're right, the Jays and right, he's not part of your future, and you're thinking of showcasing him for trades, see if he can catch well enough for somebody to go. You know what? This guy is our future catcher, because yeah, you're not going to take that your, DH. If it affects your hitting. I mean, we're talking about the physicality of the position with the top tier right. guys, right? So I'm, that's the only thing I'm raising. I, I, I just feel like there's a, what did I say, yellow flag for, for the age of Real Mutu. I think it's like a sort of a yellow, like a little bit of a warning. Yeah. There might be something there. Now, now I think the points, that Chad and Justin, you're making are, are, are super fair. And like, I, we'll just have to see, right? Because we don't even know what the minor league system's, season is going to look like this year. 
So we're really going to have to see what it looks like. But I think, you know, we... Kirk, Kirk is just frustrating to me because it seemed like he did enough last year to deserve the shot. But then how can you fault the Blue Jays for making the decisions that they made at the major league level? You really can't. No, no, I agree. And I, I think it's worth keeping in mind that, you know, we, we talk a lot about his projections. And, and Justin, I know you use depth charts for for the surplus calculator and for yeah. evaluations. Correct. Steamer is a high outlier not hugely high but a high outlier on kirk he they have him at a 346 woba nobody else is over 366 zips is all the way down at 321 and so i think there's some interesting questions of what exactly his future actually is because the projections would not look so rosy if you basically chose any other system or if you didn't use steamer like it, it it's it's shifting things a bit and I think that, you know, when you look at catchers who have moved off the position and, and the Cleveland fan in me is going to come out now because the guys that come to mind for me are Carlos Santana and Victor Martinez, right? We've been we've been fortunate to see two really talented catchers come up, move off the position and succeed as a DH and a first baseman. The bar to succeed there is really high. And, and so I think one of my concerns with Kirk long term is I'm not actually sure he hits enough to be a meaningful first baseman or DH. I think if he can't stay at catcher and they can get him in the outfield, he'd be great. They could get him to be a third baseman. I think he'd be pretty solid. At first base or DH, I think he's fine for the Jays. I think he's fine for a major league team. I think from a fantasy perspective, I don't think he moves the needle at those positions. Yeah, that makes sense. That that does track, especially because of just the replacement level bar is so high at that position. That makes total sense. Another player, real quick before I let Chad, I, I know he's got a name here. Another breakout catcher that I sort of put in my notes who also has a catcher eligibility question, but in a completely opposite way, is Dalton Varsho because he's probably going to be, right. I mean, he's, he's their starting center fielder, right? I mean, for the Diamondbacks. So he may not retain catcher eligibility for very long, but it's because he's athletic enough to play the outfield, whereas Kirk is going to be relegated to like first base or DH. I think Dar- Varsha was a guy, I think I mentioned him last year in the positional preview episode as somebody who I liked as a potential sleeper. And I still like him, especially because it seems like he's got a job for sure this year. So I, he's a guy that I, would, I wouldn't I would be shocked if he has a breakout season. But I do like Kirk's potential at the plate more than Varsho's. But Varsho has a job and Kirk doesn't. So Var- Varsho also may be ticketed to AAA to start the season. And so we'll have to see how that that plays out but he is i agree he's a really good player to track from a breakout perspective what i don't know with him and i'm super interested to find out is will the diamondbacks be willing to use him as a part-time catcher will they let him start in center field and then decide that certain days off they'd rather have him catching in a backup outfielder in the outfield instead of i can remember who their backup catcher is right now yeah, well, so, I mean, that's, again, where the, the rules come in really handy here, right? You only need five starts. You only need 10 games. If you can squeak together 10 games, you get that eligibility for a whole other season. And even in the short season last year for Varsho, he started six games at catcher, five in left, and 13 in center. So right. and there's no guarantee they're going to keep that same sort of mix this year, but he did reach six games started at catcher even in the short season while mixing in outfield time. So I think he probably will retain it, but... Yeah, they've got they've got Steven Vogt as their their backup catcher, right, right? Who is fine, but I can certainly see cases where they decide they would rather you know give Carson Kelly a day off and let 
some other player on their team get some time in the outfield or maybe you know an Alex Thomas or someone comes yeah, up like and starts to move every, things around a little every bit every Thursday day game getaway day kind of situation where you're just like it could be yeah something like that that makes a lot of sense it's worth tracking that's for sure right but I think Justin you mentioned I have another catcher I want to talk about for a potential breakout and I it seems weird to say this guy's name because I think he's almost post breakout but I don't feel like people are talking about it like they should but Sean Murphy came up had a 20 game cup of coffee in 2019 with a 370 woba followed it up last year in 43 games with a 358 woba it's still only 200 career plate appearances which is i think sort of what's giving people pause still but he you know last year he had a 48.1% hard hit rate a 12.7% barrel rate this guy's hitting the ball hard and he's walked 15% of the time in his major league career. He struck out 26.5% of the time, which is high, but not problematic high at all, especially if you're walking 15% of the time. It's like, give me a guy who walks a lot and hits the ball hard, and I'm feeling pretty good. And he's a guy who I think could jump up into that top tier of catcher. I, I think he his, his Fangraph's point scores last year were hurt because he tended late in the lineup. I think he's going to hit much earlier in the lineup this year. I, I'm... I'm really excited to see what he can do and, and and what he does over a full season because I think by the end of this year we're gonna have you know 130, 140, probably more actually more like 160, 170 games on him that we can actually look back and start to analyze and I think it's gonna look good. Yeah, I think he, I think he was another Murphy was another name that I mentioned last year or I I had like a collection of young catchers that because I think my advice this year is gonna be similar to what it was last year which was I just want to sort of punt and take some chances on guys at the, at the cheaper prices um, at the position in general. So Murphy's definitely one of those one of those guys. He's he's not super cheap, I think, but I, I agree with you, Chad. He's probably not getting the the respect that he should be at this point. And okay, I think I don't think we had any other breakout catchers we wanted to discuss. So let's move on to value catchers. Niv, I know you had a name here you wanted to talk about. You had some good notes on him. Yeah, I wanted to so I've been reading a lot of Chad's stuff over at PitcherList. It's really good, and it's made me think a little bit about how I need to present my arguments in this series of positional breakdowns. If we if we don't meet Chad's bar, I think that's a failure by this podcast. So that's I, think, I feel like it's a little sad. I feel like there's a higher <laughs> bar out there that we should be hey man, shooting for. Look, we'll just stick with Chad for now, and then we'll we'll get to the next when we can get to the next. So. So James McCann, I want to talk about for a second. So there's there's some things about James McCann that I think, one, he's inexpensive. So so let's start there. We're not talking about a $15 guy. Last 10, I think, was in the 2 or $3 range. If you're spending more than 5 bucks on him, you can discard the next five minutes of whatever I say. But, you know, in that, like, low single digits uh, number. So I looked a little bit through his Baseball Savant page and his StatCast stuff. And, you know, his, his Woba last season was uh, a very, very healthy 372. That is on 69 batted balls. <laughs> so we were talking about with catchers having a small samples, right? Like, that's 460 pitches. He played not very much, right? No catcher did. But, you know, he signed with the Mets. He's going to have probably the normal catcher workload, not a real Muto workload, but like normal catcher rotation. But he's definitely a starting catcher next year or this upcoming season. But the thing that I noticed the most was his launch angle. He has always been sort of a fine catcher, like not not the most exciting, but totally hold down the position at a low price catcher 
basically the whole time that he's been in the majors. He's not not the sexiest name, but just totally fine. And, you know, just a $1 at the end of the season. His launch angle usually sits in the 15-degree range. And in 2019, it dropped down to 10. And he had a really bad season. Like, it was not very good. And and the bounce back that I saw in 2020 is almost entirely attributable to getting his launch angle back to 15, but then not chasing as many pitches. So he reduced his chase just a little bit, and he increased his launch angle back to like his his sort of career norms of 15% in his main or 15 degrees in his main bulk of work. And I mean, I don't know. He, I again. He's he's a totally fine piece to have, like three, four dollars, and and he's going to be playing. And I think, like again, the certainty of playing is one of the things at catcher. Like at catcher, given the current crop, like I think in when we go through these other positions, there's going to be a little bit more like talking about players the way we talked about Will Smith, the way Chad talked about Will Smith, where like future value and upside comes into uh, a trade off. But I can I think a catcher you just really want some certainty and a guy that you think can like nail down a 330 woba and and anything better than that is just total gravy like not anything that you're counting on in your offense. And if we start with that premise, I think James McCann is an interesting target for that. Just looking look through his Statcast stuff and and you know, he's not He's not the sexiest name in the world, and his stat line is probably not going to be great, and his projections aren't super great, but they're totally reasonable and fine. And I think he out, I think he honestly outperforms some of his projections based on just like seeing how 2020 was so much better than 2019 in terms of his batted ball profile, and how the projection systems kind of weighted 2019 a little bit more in 2020 for obvious reasons. So again, this gets into the stuff that we are going to talk about a lot about creating the narrative that you want to see in the world. But I think for James McCann, like there's a little bit of evidence to that. Yeah, I think McCann, I think to your your point about his launch angle, not only did he bring that back up, but he set a career high in his sweet spot at Baseball Savant, which measures how often you're in sort of an optimal launch angle. When he dropped his launch angle in 2019, his sweet spot didn't drop a whole lot, but he was obviously lower in that range, but he but he brought it back up, which is which is good. My big concern with McCann is his career his career WRC plus against left-handed pitchers is 124. He's been at 131 and 1 and then 236 the last few years. 131 in 2019, 236 in 2020. His career WRC plus against righties is 70. Now he's been at 99 the last two years. And so maybe he's turned a corner and is able to handle righties a little bit better, but he's also been hidden against righties a little bit more the last couple of years. And so my my I, I, everything you're saying about him is right and interesting and a good reason to be in on him. My, my hesitance with him comes from the fact that they don't, he's not going to be hidden anymore. He's going to have to face those right-handed pitchers. And if he's able to maintain a 99 WRC plus, a roughly league average bat, and then do his damage against lefties at catcher, that'll play. If he falls back towards that like 70 area that he is for his career, then you got a guy you have to platoon. And so maybe that's not even at his cost. Maybe that's not even a reason to not draft. That, that even it, yeah, that might be. Th- that was that was going to be my argument. That it, you know, just because the Mets are going to run him out there, you know, seventy five percent of the time, doesn't mean you have to as an auto manager. I would still, if he's on my roster, I probably would start him every time he's in a lineup against a lefty and then bench him otherwise. And then, but that's fine. 
if he's my second or third catcher, maybe maybe you'd have to go three catchers deep if you're only using him against left-handers. But you know, you could combo him with somebody like Sal Perez, and you're probably getting a really good combo there. And and Niv's right; he's not going to cost you very much. So, well, if the Mets are smart, and I think they will be, he's only going to play you know 110, 120 games this year, no matter what. If they're smart, he never sits against a lefty, right? So, what should be 162 games in which you get, let's say, 50-ish starts against a lefty, he should get all 50 of those. And then get another 60 or 70. Against right, it'll righties. be like heavily weighted lefty. Yes. Yeah. Makes and if you can, and if you as a fantasy player can say, okay, I'm going to get 50 lefty starts for him, from him, and then I'm going to pick and choose 20 starts against really bad right-handed pitchers or at Coors Field or whatever it is, and I'm going to get him for those and get him up to that 70-ish game mark that way, him plus one other guy, you got yourself a catcher. Yep. Right. And that's, and I think, you know, I, I know there are a few other names we want to talk about here, but I think when we talk about value catcher, this is, again, we talked about this a ton last season. Like you have two catcher slots, unless you're playing a head to head, take advantage of it, build a composite catcher. And I think like James McCann is an example for that. I think Justin kind of has a, a couple options for that as well, but we, what, what you're able to do with the flexibility of two spots is really build a composite catcher that you want to see. So take advantage of that. I think that would be my advice. Like when you're, when you're thinking about this, especially as we keep talking about how the catcher position is extremely frustrating to bad right now. Yeah. I think as I'm looking at value catchers, uh, I'm looking at upside rather than sort of where I can get cheap production. And so Justin, I know you're going to disagree with this and you, you, you mentioned him, I think as a potential bust when we get to the bus, but Gary Sanchez is, I think, becoming a value play. And the the reason for that, like, I'm so I'm in a league. Part of this is, again, this Justin's talked about how do you use your catcher position. So I'm in league 670. We're doing a slow draft. That draft is happening right now. I entered the auction with a $10 Grandal and a $4 Alejandro Kirk. So two guys we've already talked about. I am concerned that Kirk isn't going to get me any playing time. So I feel like I need a third catcher, but I don't need that third catcher to do a whole lot. Ideally, I can cut that third catcher at some point in the season because Kirk comes in and takes over that role and I've got my two guys and I'm good. Gary Sanchez went for $7 in that auction. And I am looking at that right now, sort of regretting not going to eight or nine bucks on him. Not because I necessarily think he's some huge, incredible value at eight or nine bucks, but because he actually, if you look at his numbers, he's not that different from the guy who was a stud in 2019. He struck out a lot more, but in small sample size, we'll see how that goes because he didn't chase more. His contact rate didn't really go down a whole lot. His swinging strike went from 13% to 13.8%. It went up, but not a ton. So the, the strikeouts, I think, is a little bit of noise. And then he had a 159 BAP. So to get that BAPIV up to something more like 275, 280, which is closer to where I think he should be, it's a, maybe a little high for him, gets you up to about a 310-ish on base from him. That 2016 or 2019 season when he was a an absolute powerhouse in, in this format, in any format really, unless you needed his average, he had a 3, 316 OBP and a 28% strikeout rate. I don't think he's that far off from those numbers if his BAPIP corrects a bit. And if that's the case, then I go and start looking at his, his stat cast numbers and his 
average exit velocity was up last year. His max exit velocity was down a little bit, but it was at 117.5. So you're not going to argue with that at all. He still His hard hit was, his, was a career high last year. His barrel rate was the second highest of his career last year. I, I just... Unless you think that his chasing less and making the same amount of contact logically led to a jump in strikeout rate, or you think that his BAPIP is going to be a 160 BAPIP going forward, I think there's good reason to think that he can go back to being the guy he was. And if he can go back to being the guy he was in this format, that's super valuable. And so I, I, I see him as a value play because he strikes me as the one guy who I think there's a lot of $1 or $2 catchers who might return $7 of value. He strikes me as a guy who is going for anywhere from seven to ten dollars, probably in a lot of leagues, and could become a twenty dollar catcher again. And in the situation I was in in that league, I could have taken that gamble. And had he been terrible and gotten benched, and Higashioka takes over or something, I would cut him, and it would be no loss because I'm not relying on him as my catcher. And so I think that's part of where value for him comes in: is do you do you need him because the floor is low. The floor is super low with Sanchez, but the ceiling might be higher than any other catcher in baseball. It's interesting. We started before we recorded. <laughs> Chad and I were talking, and and Chad, you made a comment to the effect of, you know, you and I were going to be arguing about Gary Sanchez tonight. I really don't think we are because for me, I don't disagree with anything you said. The only reason I don't have him as a value, and in fact, I'm spoiler alert, I have him as a bust, has everything to do with what I expect his salary to be. I, I don't think he's going to, in most leagues, he's going to be under $10. I think he's going to be higher than that. He's, he was cut in a lot of leagues, so he might be the best catcher available for many leagues. And I think he's going to be in that 15 to maybe even $20 range as people chase chase the prior Gary Sanchez. And do I think he has that in them? Yeah, absolutely. But to me, as a pure, as a pure value play, no, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right that he's going to be more in that 8 to $10 range. And if he is, then sure, I can take that chance on, on Gary Sanchez because, so, yeah, there's a $20 bat in there. So let's, 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 let's write this one down, right? What do we think? If I said 17.5 over under for his average salary on opening day. In first-year leagues or in leagues where he's auctioned right. this year? Yeah. Right. Under, easily. 17.5 under. I would say under, but that's well, probably I mean, right the pro- around the... The problem is now we're going to publish this podcast and we're, we're basically messing the market up. If, if I So if you had asked me yesterday, I would have said an over-under of about... I would have said 11.5 to 12.5, some, somewhere around there. Having Man, seen him just go... And all of a sudden, st- all your priors are thrown out. <laughs> no, it's not so much that. It's So, well, yes. Okay, it is that. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. <laughs> but in this one draft, there there aren't catchers available. It's a slow draft, and so there were a bunch of other catchers going around the same time. Christian Vasquez was out there. And, and one of the things we've talked there. about is in slow drafts, the price, you're not getting surplus in slow drafts because people have plenty of opportunity to remedy their their bids, right? Right. And, and it's also, he was one of the first guys nominated. And guys who go early in slow drafts, there tends to be, a, at least in my experience, they tend to get bid up more. Yeah, um, And this league in particular, I you know, Niv, I messaged you about this earlier today. I think it's a really interesting situation in this league where, as we're seeing in a lot of leagues, inflation is down this year because people kept so many players. But because people kept so many players, there's scarcity. There's just not as much available. And what I'm seeing right now is those sort of popular sleeper types 
are going for way more than I expected. And so when Sanchez came up and I started seeing Austin Nola around $7 and stuff, I was like, okay, he's going to end up in that $12 range I sort of thought he might end up in. And he stalled out at 7 And and so I, I what it what it said to me was even in a situation where it looked like his price should be inflated above his projections, I think people are just so down on him. He was so he wasn't just bad last year, he was very visibly bad. Right. Right. It was like a talking point in baseball point, last year right, how right. bad Gary Sanchez. And like was. going into it, they're like he's changed his defense and then he didn't, it turns out, and like, right, that's right. It's such a high profile situation that he finds y- Yankees who underperform are the most talked about people in the baseball world yeah well let's I so I think maybe and you know this is sort of we're doing this on the fly here but maybe we should from each one of these like I I would love to to revisit in the first week of the season 17.5 average salary for Gary Sanchez maybe we should do that one of these for each position going forward I don't know yeah it's a, it's a good idea and and we can you know, sort of try to predict. And because we're a lot of what we're talking about, especially at this value segment, is we're trying to predict what that rate is going to that market salary is going to be. And if we're wrong, that that invalidates some of our argument, right? Like my art, my counter argument to Chad here is that I just don't think he's going to be in that seven to ten dollar range in most of these leagues. I think I think we're in when we when we look forward in six months, we're going to see or three months. I think that Chad's experience in this league is going to be the outlier. That, that he's going to be going for. It's going to make me regret even more that I didn't go to $8. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't, I'm a little surprised right, well, you I, didn't, I, especially because that's a that's a Sabre league too, right? Where where hitter values should be a little yeah. bit higher than they are in Fangraphs points. The, um, the thing I struggled with in that league was just that because so many of the other guys I was interested in were going higher and I actually had positions of need, I basically decided that wasn't where I wanted to make a splurge. Like, yeah. my plan was to get a third catcher for like a buck, right? I was like, I'm not look. I wasn't looking to spend money there. And so it was, do I really want to throw off the rest of my draft to go get Gary Sanchez when I was already spending a little bit more than I thought on uh, Kyle Schwarber, who ended up picking up as an outfielder, on Carlos Correa, who ended up picking up as a, my starting middle infielder. Those, those were better places for me to spend, but... Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> one one quick thing because I'm just looking at his player page, and I know that there's context here because of inflation. Although, again, this year the the inflation was very low across Audenew, but his average salary in Fangraphs points only is a flat twenty dollars. So he was capped at an average price of twenty dollars across Fangraphs points league, and his last ten ads averaged sixteen fifty. That sixteen fifty number is probably real close to what my expectation for an over under for him would be. So yes, under seventeen fifty, but not probably not. Well, too let's just far set, under. I'll set the line at sixteen fifty. Let's let's revisit it in the first week of April. Okay, and if maybe Chad's we should talk about bust under, then, then because if his price is sixteen fifty, I'm with you, Justin. He's a bust. <laughs> and 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 so so right. So that's like I, I identified him as a bust because right that context I'm is thinking, just everything, right? Right, it, it is. It really is, and that's why I always say that that being price sensitive informs so much of what. I do personally, what I think a lot of auto new managers should be doing is anybody could be a value if they come at a huge discount and anybody can be a bust if you end up paying $15 more in salary than you, than you needed to, or then, you know, then, then the entire auto new market is going to pay for somebody. If Gary Sanchez is going at a price anywhere near, he was going last off season, then yeah, he's a bust catcher because I just think that it's not baking in the risk. But if Chad's right and he's anchored more towards that seven, eight, nine dollar range, 
then yeah, actually he could be a value because he's he's going to be the rare seven eight dollar catcher that could be a twenty dollar plus catcher and has been a twenty dollar plus catcher, not just could be, but but has right. already been. Bust his right light into the second tier, maybe even top tier of catchers. And and the other bus call out I had, I, I'm kind of skipping over my value uh, catcher picks because really they're not that interesting, and I can talk about them in a minute. But the other bus catcher that I sort of identified, and it's where Gary Sanchez might be an overreaction to a bad short season in 2020. Sal Perez might be an overreaction to a very, very good short season in 2020. If people are buying him as if he's in that 15 to $20 tier of catchers now, I'm not interested in at, at that price. 10 to 15 maybe more on that side than it's, it's about a par value to me. But And I'm not sure, where did you have him on your catcher rankings, Chad, for, for Sal Perez? I, I, I didn't pull that up. What tier was he in? Because I like the way you did that, by the way. You didn't have precise values, but you had sort of player tiers. While while Chad's peeking at that real quick, I'm going back to our notes from episode six, where we did catchers for 2020. And I think Chad had Perez as a bust last year. And so, like, do you think there's, like, I mean, I know, like, a big chunk of that was 2019. He's coming off injury. The risk is super high. And, like anyone who paid real money for him but like like what what do you do with his 2020 like what do you do with it Uh, because like i think chad was chad's process isn't wrong and like justin what you just said is that i don't want to pay for the 2020 but then like what are we looking at here like he's a guy who hits and he gets to play a lot so those things are good he's a little bit older and he has the injury he also is a uh, a pretty notorious slow finisher. He's been in his career. He's posted a 105 WRC plus in the first half and a 93 in the second half. And last year he didn't have to have a second half, right? He he got to do the first half without the second. And so that I actually I like this call as a bust. I have him fifth in my rankings. I have him fifth in my rankings because when I look at the projections, there's enough of a gap. Like he actually by the by the pure depth charts projections should probably be more like third. Like he should be ahead of Wilson Contreras. He should maybe be ahead of Yasmani Grandal. I think those guys are more likely to be good than him for a full season, and so I've I've kept them above him. But I think he's a reasonable bust projection. I don't I don't think he's like established some new baseline. I think he's shown us what he's capable of doing in short bursts. But I don't think that was news. I think the other reason that you you called him out as a bust last year was also because he didn't have catcher eligibility to start the season. And with a short season and not being able to start him at catcher for the first week, week and a half, impacts his price. It should have impacted his his value pretty drastically. And I agreed with that part of it. He, he hit way better in 2020 than he ever has before. I mean, and it's not like he's 25 or 26. I mean, he's he's a veteran at this point. So I for me, the bus call is all about the fact that Anybody looking at 2020 and saying, well, this is this this is who Sal is and this is what he'll be going forward with maybe a little bit of aggression regression. I'd say, no, there's going to be a lot of regression. And as a 30 year old catcher, I, I would project him to be pretty close to what the projections have, which is basically a league average hitter at the plate. And that's what he's been in his career. So that's what I would that's what my expectations would be. The surplus calculator based on depth charts projections has him as $14. I think that's probably still a little too high. I would say maybe more like 11 or 12. What, what and again, number is that? And like how many catchers are ranked higher than him by 
that's that's third. He's actually above Will Smith. And again, I think a lot of that is because he's accumulating so many more games that his points per game is lower than Will Smith, but because he's playing more often, his par ends up being higher. Yeah, because he's still I, above replacement level in a per per game basis, but he has the bulk stats to 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 bump him up. And a that's little. why I I like I said I downgraded him. To, I think that that downgrade to fifth is is feels fair to me. If I were, I agree. If my ranks were not ranks, but were bold predictions, or like how do you feel about this guy or something right, like right. that, he would have gone lower. I think there's other guys who I'm more intrigued by. There's other guys who I think will be better values than him at drafts because of all this stuff. But but I do think it's, if you had to ask me, like, honestly, where do I think he falls? Like, I, I have a hard time arguing he's not going to be a top five guy based on not just last year, his year, the year before he started to hit the ball a lot harder. And so, I, you know, his... His hard hit rate has been up since the year before, meaning 2018, because he missed 2019. But he set a career high in both barrel rate and hard hit percentage in 2018 and then raised the barrel rate and maintained the hard hit rate in 2020. He set a career high in average exit velocity in 2018 and basically matched it in 2020. So there is some change there. And I think that it's fair to assume that he's going to be better than he's been for his career. Yeah, the 2020 season is not like it demonstrates that some of those skills he showed in 2018 are legit. It does not demonstrate that he's some someone we didn't know about. Yeah. And and I think the other inherent value that he has is that he's projected to hit third in that lineup. And last year he only was in the third or fourth slot in that lineup for the Royals. So he gets a little bit. Of, we haven't really talked about that too much, but it's very important to mention that in Fangraph's points, the more plate appearances your players get per game started, the better, because it's more opportunity for them to accrue points. So hitting at the top of the lineup gives players a boost. So if he's hitting third, he's hitting a lot higher than most other catchers. Even if he's not much above a league average hitter, he's getting incremental value because he's starting so often and he's hitting in, in the third spot in the lineup. So I think that gives him and that he's he's a very high floor catcher for me which is what made him, I think he was a, a sleeper for me last year. And that's why, because he was so cheap and I thought he had a very high floor, but I don't think he's a $15 catcher pretty much in any context. So, all right, I'll circle back real quick to my value picks at catcher. They, they're really not that interesting. I think the one that I would, I'm going to ignore one of the names I had on here, but the other one, I will mention Wilson Contreras. Again, when you're talking about value, he he underperformed last year. He's kind of uh, a forgotten man right now in Chicago. I mean, they haven't traded him, but there's still a lot of chatter about that. I still think he he could bounce back and and be what he's been in his career because he has hit well. And if the auto new market is not pricing that in, then he would find his way onto some of my rosters because I mean, in even a poor year last year, he was still a 110 WRC plus in his career. So he's a 116. So I think he's sort of in that mix in the top five or six catchers um, for sure. And if the auto new market isn't pricing him there, then he could be a value for me this year. Not very exciting. I don't think there's a lot of upside there either, but I'd be very keen on paying attention to where he's going in auctions because I think he's, he's in that mix and he might be the fifth or sixth best catcher, maybe even the fourth best catcher. And that's not exciting, but that's that's kind of this position, right? Like there's so few names to really get excited about. 
and you everybody's got to have catchers, so you just kind of have to plug your nose and go, okay, I guess this guy then. I uh, I don't know. So, all right. Well, my, my bus I mentioned, and I did my value real quick. Chad and Niv, do you guys want to talk about your, your bust picks for catcher here? I think I would have talked about Perez as a potential bust because of that, you know, playing a full season, which you didn't have to do last year, and some of the other stuff we talked about. I, I think the biggest thing for me is when I think about a bust, it's somebody that costs a ton to the point that it hurts you when they fail. And I, like, what catcher costs a ton? I, I guess yeah. if Sanchez is really going for 16 17 up to 20 bucks, then he's my bust pick. Otherwise, it's like people are paying for Real Muto. I don't think he's that risky. People are paying for Grandal. I don't think he's going to bust. People are paying for Smith. I don't think he's going to bust. It's like... I guess, you know, if people are paying 15 bucks for Perez, maybe that's maybe that's too much and therefore he's a, a bus risk. But I also think he has a high floor, like you said, and so he's going right. to get you seven, eight bucks of value. I just I don't see that guy at catcher where you're going to spend twenty, twenty five dollars and really regret it because nobody's going to make you do that for any of these guys because they're they're not good. Sorry, sorry, Justin. I just real quick to piggyback because I don't have a ton to add to that. I just, the way I think about it is my advice would be don't expose yourself to being, even having to talk about bus. Don't commit resources here. And I think that's, you know, all of us pretty much agree on that. Other, other than Real Muto, I think, or Will Smith. But I, yeah, I just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be exposed here. That's just what it comes down to. I mean, would it be fair to say that, that the catcher position right now in Autonews specifically for the points leagues you're you're not you're really not winning any leagues because of your catchers and you're not losing any leagues because of how yeah, you invested the position I mean, like it's really almost an afterthought position yeah that's what we said about real muto will smith ground all like even at that very top tier of catcher if they're your best hitter you're in trouble i think like they're not they're they're very good hitters they are not like universal fantasy like lock down your lineup like anchor your lineup guys and so i agree with that I don't agree. I don't agree with just sort of ignoring the position or that you can't win or lose your league from this position. And the reason I say that is, like, for me, I'm targeting Real Muto, although I'm never actually willing to pay enough to get him. I'm targeting Grandal. I've, I've, he's a guy I've traded for and kept in a number of leagues. I'm targeting Smith where he's available, which is pretty rare, because I think that there's going to be teams in every league this year who get like three points per game out of their catcher spot because they're bouncing around between a Danny Jansen and a Jacob Stallings and like three other guys trying to find somebody who clicks and nobody ever does. And all of a sudden it's August and you're a hundred games into the season and you've left 200 points on the table or 150 points on the table or something like that because your catcher has just been atrocious. And I, I think that's manageable, but I think that, you're going to have, I, there's two ways you're going to have in that place. One is you go down that path, but you don't put the time and effort into finding a new catcher every day to figure out till you get one who sticks. The other is you do put that time and effort in and you just, you keep getting it wrong. Not through, I think, any fault of your own, just sometimes you get it wrong, right? Yeah, that's, true about, you, that's true about any position, right? I think that's, that's no, fair. I don't. I like, nobody is going to end up in that position with their first baseman. Nobody's going to end up in that position with their shortstop. Nobody's going to end up in that position in their outfield. Well, it's all, but it's all There's relative, depth right? In those like, positions. It's all relative. It is all relative, but I think the floor at catcher is significantly lower than it you is think. You think position. there's like tenth through twelfth that are just going to be stuck 
standing when the music stops and stuck with just the worst catchers and not being able to get out of that hold. And you think no one other position has that problem? That that is ex- that's right. I think that this is the one position where. And I don't know that it's totally avoidable. Like, there's only so much you can do. If you don't have one of those top three guys, I think you might get stuck in that position. And I don't know how to avoid it. No, those guys aren't good enough to say, then go do whatever it takes to get them. Spend 30 bucks on Real Muto. Like, right. I, I'm not saying that. Because right, not and that that's the challenge better. of the position. Agreed. But I do think that if you can get one of those top guys via trade, well, it's maybe too late for that, but via trade before or after your draft or at a reasonable price at the auction... You take yourself out of a situation that could get really ugly really fast. And I think like if you go look at if you look at the rankings, like my number nine catcher, my numbers my numbers nine through twelve, okay, are Christian Vasquez, Austin Nola, Dalton Varsho, and Mitch Garver. Then you get like Buster Posey, then you get start getting into some prospects. There is a very real chance that any one of those guys could return literally no value. Garver was terrible last year. Nola's been good, but he came out of nowhere, and the Padres have options that are not going to mess around if if it's not going well. Posey is old and maybe done. Christian Vasquez, I think, is pretty good, but I also don't really know, and I don't have a lot of confidence in him. And like that's assuming that those top 12 guys go to 12 different teams, which won't be the case because there's a bunch of teams out there that have a cheap Nola and a cheap Garver and are keeping them both. Or there's a bunch of teams yeah, that have so a Grandal and had Nola as their backup and are keeping them both. The only thing I'd say to that is that I think, you know, when you did your rankings, you rightfully balanced a little bit of the future value, a little bit of the upside in addition to the current context of that player. And so, you know, we're sort of uh, going into like catcher strategy for 2021, and, you know, I, I hinted at it already. Like, I, I'm looking for certainty of playing time. I'm looking for cer- uh, certainty in those positions. Like, I'm not looking for the risk-reward play at catcher. Just because, in, in, in this sense, we sort of agree, like, the, the overall position in the major league level is just not deep enough for me to say, like, I'm willing to take some bets because if they don't work out, I have a floor, right? So maybe the way I, I interpret your... I think we agree, but then the way I play it ends up like I'm I'm just keeping McCann and, and Travis Darnone. And like that's it. Like those guys have played they have they're not gonna lose plate appearances. If they stink, they stink, but they're not gonna stink so bad. And you know, they weren't top twelve guys for you, but I think that's fair that they're not top twelve guys in your rankings. I think it's just like So just just to mention on McCann, you know what his projected points per game is? It's not great. It's below four. Right. I think it's like 3.75. Right. So, but I'm he's with my you. second catch. He's a he's a totally reasonable guy. He may be very good. The way he played last year would suggest he'll be much better than that. The floor is so low for right. these but he, guys. But this is again, this is like uh, this is what I was saying before. You have two slots unless you're playing head to head. You can build the catcher you need and you can you just what did you guys say? Just cuz the Mets are going to throw McCann out there 75% of the time doesn't mean you have to. Yeah, and, and, and catcher, I think, is the one position where you can... It's the really, only place you can really do that. You can really Voltron a good catcher out of a bunch of otherwise unexciting riffraff. So. That's interesting, though, because I think we're looking at the exact same problem and coming out of it with sort of like... Because there is some level of you that if you approach... Uh, team building with the same kind of like risk reward appetite at every position catcher will just wreck you if you are willing to take on the risk 
right? And, and I think that's maybe Chad, that's what you're trying to get at. Like you just really can't take. It's not that you can't take huge risks, but like there is just more built-in risk. Yeah, and I think I mean you know me, I like taking risks, right? I'm the guy who's like, oh, your team's projected for ninth place. Let's go. go yeah, see what you can do. Yeah. So I'm I'm all about risk. I just think the downside in that catcher position. And look, I'm not overpaying for those top guys. Right? I, I, I want to be very clear about that. I am not suggesting you go out and get those top guys at all costs because it's not the right way to handle the position. But if you can get those top guys, you take yourself out of a game of musical chairs where somebody is going to be left sitting with crap. And you don't want to be that person. And I do think you can cost yourself multiple hundred points, two to 300 points over the course of a season because of where you are stuck at catcher, because McCann turns back into a pumpkin and Omar Nevaez never really gets his swing back and Danny Jansen never develops. And like, you just churn through these guys and it just doesn't, doesn't happen for you. You can also pick up McCann who crushes lefties and pick up Nervaez who gets his bat back and pick up Pedro Severino who does just enough to maintain a role when Adley comes up and, Voltron together, like you guys said, a stud catcher. Somebody in your league will do that. And somebody in your league will try to do that and get nothing out of it. And I am not convinced that because of all the other issues around catcher, how difficult the position is physically, how quickly guys emerge and then fall off, and the fact that guys tend to break out late, like it's you get these sudden breakouts really late and then sudden fall offs really early. Like that whole combination of things makes it particularly hard for me to feel like I can, to feel like I'm going to be able to get the right guys to Voltron that guy together. I can do that with my fourth and fifth outfielders. I feel super confident I can find four outfielders who are good enough between them to cobble together a fourth and fifth outfielder that I'm really happy with. I feel pretty good that I could do that even at like first base, that I could find two guys who I can platoon and come away. It may not be great, but it'll have the potential to be great. And at the very least, it'll be solid. At catcher, I just feel like there's such risk you end up with nothing that if you can take yourself out of that game and just be like, I'm penciling Grandal in, Grandal might fall on his face. Grandal might get hurt. Like things might happen. But if you can just pencil him in and be done and then go grab two of those guys to cobble together the other 60 games you need, that seems way more pleasant to me than being stuck playing with like, I just, the, 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 the average projections for some of these back end catchers and by back end, I don't even mean like 50th. I mean like 18 to 25. Some of those projections are like, in the same zone as like the 70th top second baseman. Like it gets ugly really fast to catcher. McCann is, is almost the same projection as Jordy Mercer. Jordy Mercer is not a guy that you're sitting there being like, he's not even a guy that you're like, I might roster him, let alone have him potentially as a key part of your team. And that's not a knock on McCann. It's just the position is what it is. And you run into, you run a lot of risk at the bottom end. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm not disagreeing with that. I think for me, my strategy when it comes to the catcher position is I do think somewhat similarly to relief pitching, I do think it's a little easier to find someone in season at that position. We've seen, I mean, it's half the names we've mentioned tonight, I think some of those guys could have been picked up post-auction last year. I also think that when you're looking at this position, the upside for any particular catcher is just capped. Like, 
what's the most that a catcher could be worth in, in, in a realistic sense? Like you're not getting a $50 catcher, you know? And, and so I, I just don't want to pay too much attention at the position. And yes, the back end is bad. I mean, we let off the episode making that joke and, and the whole position is bad, but it's also, you, it has to be compared against the baseline and the catcher baseline is much lower than even shortstop. I mean, and it has been, and it's, it's significantly lower. So yes, it's, it's going to hurt you if you have a black hole at the catcher position. And I've had rosters where I've had like an average of three points per game at the catcher position. And it, it does sting, but I also think it's a correctable positional weakness in a way that some other positions aren't. You, you could have a three point per game at shortstop. It's gonna be a lot harder for you to make up that difference and, and, and sort of improve than it would be at the catcher position. In my opinion, I could be wrong about that, but I, I think it's easier to, to overcome that weakness when you're not investing a catcher than it is at, at any other, any other position offensively, or even on the pitching side with the possible exception of a bullpen. So I, I I'm just not, I have Sal Perez on a couple of rosters that, and I think I even kept him up to 12 or $13, which in hindsight, maybe I shouldn't have. I have some cheapish Travis Darnodes. I have uh, a couple Will Smith guys on my roster. I think most of my leagues, I do have at least one keeper catcher. So I don't, I can choose not to really jump into the fray at auction. And I think that's the best situation to be in where you have a catcher, you have a little bit of certainty. So you, you're have some confidence. You're avoiding that black hole that Chad's talking about, but at the same time, you don't have to really get every catcher you need. You need to go out to the auction to find, because I think it, that would be difficult to do because it's just such a bad position. And that I agree with. I think you it's it is not a place where you want to overspend. It's not a place where you want to go crazy. But I just think there is huge value if you've got and I actually think to me, I, I you know, I said Grandal, Real Muto and Smith, but Sean Murphy is in that category for me. Darno is probably in that category for me. I think Perez probably is just because he his floor is so high because he's gonna right. play so much. Like there's a handful of guys that's just like okay, I can take a deep breath. It's not going to be the worst thing to ever happen. <laughs> like I'll be competent at least. And then I can try to cobble together a couple guys who take me from competent to great or competent to good at least. It's, I just think, and that's why when I was listing the guys I was worried about, I started at eight, right? I, I you know, there's, there's six, seven, maybe eight guys. Who it's like, all right, at least I got a baseline to start with. But man, if you don't end up with one of those guys, I get, antsy i i get it i i think that's just the whole position though right i mean it's just i don't think anybody really feels super great about the catcher position and i don't think they will this year maybe in years past when there was a little more certainty at the top but even in leagues where i i have like a will smith i'm still kind of like how many more catchers do i need to have on my team here okay real quick we 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 sort of skipped over this this part of it we were going to talk about prospects we're running long shocker so we should get through this pretty quick. We should try to speed run it. But in general, and we're not going to go through all the top prospects, but in general, which catcher prospects do you think are relevant for auto new teams that should be rostered, that that could potentially have an impact this year or maybe next year? Which prospects, if any, at the catcher position would you put it there? I think the, the most obvious one, and I'll let you guys fill in the rest, would be Adley Rutschman. I mean, he's number one, probably. And then who else? I mean, who else is even somebody that you would covet in a trade if you were rebuilding? We've, 
we've talked a little bit about Varsho and Kirk, who I think still fall in that prospect category or prospect. Yeah, if you want to count those, yeah, they belong there. I think after that, obviously Adley, and then I think Joey Bart is still interesting. I don't know if you count Ryan Jeffers at this point as as a prospect, but he's at least somewhat interesting. And then like. You know, Luis Camposano and and Francisco Mejia are still guys who I think have some real upside. I think Sam Huff has some upside and is closer to actually emerging than those guys are. And then, I don't know, I mean, you know, does Tyler Stevenson count? He probably should be someone you're at least at least thinking about rostering because I think he can take that job. I don't even know if you roster that until he gets the job. Like I, I like to I just me, think there's a chance he actually has the job. I think right. like, if he has the job, then 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 you have to roster him. I think yeah. And then I don't know. I'm sure people will mention Kibert Ruiz, but I don't think he needs to be rostered. And now yeah, I'm running out of names. One of those things. Bo K- Naylor. <laughs> I don't know. Kibert Ruiz is like we, we don't know the playing time situation, right? We have to see how that plays out. Like. Stevenson again. You have to like sort of see how that plays out. After Adley and 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 you know Varsho and Kirk, I, I'm not sure there's anyone that is sort of prospecty and uncertain uh, going into 2021 that you need to speculate on. Adley is my my mind is moved on Adley a little bit. Like I I was a little skeptical and now I'm the buzz is getting me a little bit warmed up to him. But I, I mean I'm excited to see him debut. Let's put it that way. But I'm not. I'm not necessarily getting getting him rostered on my teams. I think the other risk is we've seen so many top catcher prospects take a while to to hit the ground running. Not all. I mean, there's definitely been some catchers that have come up and hit right away. But it's just a position. I'm not. If I'm looking to roster minor league players, I'm not really looking at the catcher position. Adley might be the one. I did have. Joey Bart on a couple of my teams last year. Obviously, he he was not very good in his cup of coffee last year. I, yeah, I mean, I wrote down here in my notes Miguel Amaya mostly just because if the, the Cubs move off of Contreras, Amaya might would immediately be a replacement for them because I think he's close enough. But I I just don't think that there's really too much to be interested in at catcher if you're if you're prospecting in Autonew specifically. Yeah, I mean, it's just. It's bleak in the majors. It's bleak in the minors. I mean, I Adley is definitely a good prospect, and he he should be rostered in every auto new league for sure. Um, he's gonna get he's gonna get a chance this season, right? Like, can I, we I look would, forward I to that? Think so. I, you don't think so? I think you will. I no, he said he would. would. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. I I misheard you. Yeah, yeah. I so would. I think he will. Yeah, yeah. I think the challenge with catchers in the prospect world is that if they don't have pretty great defense and framing and and catching skills, receiving skills, then teams aren't that interested in them. Every team wants an excuse to get them off catcher, right? Right. Yeah. Because it's it's so slow. We talked about how you were just saying it, Justin. It's so slow to get a catcher all the way through your minors, get them ready to catch a major league rotation, that if they actually have any offensive talent, the day they show up in camp, you're like, maybe they can play left field. Maybe they can be a third baseman. Maybe they can be a center right, field. Because you just find anywhere else. Yeah. I just, there was just a report. Somebody just shared a report on Jason Dominguez 
that said that the Yankees were looking like he could be almost anywhere in the field, and they're looking at him at center field because it's the quickest path. They considered him a catcher and dismissed that. So you want a guy who's an interesting prospect who could theoretically catch. I guess he's it. But the Yankees didn't even put him in a game before moving him off of catcher because you don't. There's no reason to slow down that bat, and that's going to happen. And until somebody comes along who has an MVP caliber bat and is Yadi Molina behind the plate, they're they're going to get moved off the position. So do you think? Do you think the pet, like sort of the re-emphasis on pitcher framing or the emphasis on pitcher framing and looking at like the parts of the defense that aren't simply throwing runners out is going to make it harder to have like a golden age of catchers going forward? Yeah, I mean, I think if you go back and look at sort of some of the the best catchers that from from our from our youth, and you think about a guy like Mike Piazza. Like he wasn't renowned right. for his Piazza, defense. like famously in the moment, not good. Right. Yeah. Famously so, in the moment, not good at defense. Yeah. And so you, you had, I think a period of time where the game had moved in a direction where catcher defense was important, but not that important. And if you could throw a guy out, that was great. But like, man, we can get stud offense out of this guy who only has to sit behind the plate and block balls occasionally. And now we've shifted to a point where people are starting to recognize that the ability to receive really matters. The ability to frame pitches really matters. Even stopping past balls, like stopping base stealers, like all that stuff has real tangible value in a way that I think it sort of had mythical value 25 years ago. I wonder how much of it was just... If you can find a guy who has the stamina and physicality, ability to just crouch for for nine innings, which is absolutely impossible and super hard to begin with, that was enough of a that was enough. And now we're you looking catch at your body, right? And, that, like, right? and now it's like, no, you have to be like a plus player there because we need plus players in the field everywhere, which is which is interesting. We'll have to track that, I guess. Yeah, and and I I think that. I think you just see more specialization too, right? Like you have more defensive focused catchers and, you know, you, you have the hitting catchers, but they're, they're not starting. I, I I mean, am I wrong about that? Does it feel like 20 years ago, catchers were playing a lot more? Like if you had a number one catcher on your roster, he was starting many more games than they do now. Yeah. I don't think that's wrong. I think, I think uh, the split, I mean, it's just, it's teams are getting smarter, right? Right. And I think they're trying to get every edge they can. And that includes like that raise style, right? Where you have, you're, you're not playing anybody for 160 games because you're, you're squeezing every little maximum piece of value out of any particular player on the roster. you, You just know they won't be good if you do that. Right. So how do you make them, how do you spend, how do you spend less money to be good is, to just get two full-time catchers, in a sense, neither of them are going to peak at a, like a Posada or a Piazza or whatever, but they don't need to. Right. All right. I think I think we've covered everything <laughs> as thoroughly. Like like we said, a short episode. <laughs> Classic Look, I, seventy-five I, minute short episode. I'm not going to jinx us anymore. I, every <laughs> time we start and I say we can keep this to thirty-five minutes, it 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 goes horribly wrong. So we just find something to argue about. Yeah. Well, hopefully everyone listening, it doesn't feel like 75 minutes of talking about catchers, a position that at the top we said was a wasteland and then talked about for over an hour. But yeah, I, I have nothing else to say. It's just, it's just. Thank you for making it this far. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So we're going to end it there. I mentioned in the last episode, I'll mention again real quick here. We do have a Twitter account at Autobot Pod. At some point, we're really busy in this pre-auction 
time of, of year. But at some point, we'll start doing more mailbag episodes and putting the call out. And that will be the primary place we'll do that is on the Twitter account. You can tweet us or obviously as well on, on any of our individual Twitter accounts or, or on Slack and things like that. But because we have that now, I think that's going to be the pri- primary avenue to give us feedback or respond to our calls for, for questions and answers segments. So with that being said, we're going to continue probably with first base next week and or third base. We're going to try to double up some episodes in some weeks um, to get two out just because there's so much to cover, but we'll see that that schedule is very fluid right now. So, all right. Thank you as always for everybody that sticks through these. We, we will continue to work on our, our, our keeping things trim and tight. It's it's, we're all growing and, and trying to improve. So anyway, that's enough. I'm rambling. All right. Thanks. Yeah.